This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. For a long time, I have been wanting to make a show about the awful cultural divides that are growing in this country, but I haven't really known how to do that, and I definitely didn't want to go out and have conversations that turned into conversations about politics, which are boring and usually useless. So anyway, I never really figured it out, but instead I sort of backed into an experiment. I asked my editor over at Vermont Public, Mark Davis, if I could go drive around and ask people, what class are you? just to see what happened. And he said, sure. And so I did. And I met a lot of really interesting people, and I made a series out of it for Vermont Public. And I'm going to play it for you here. And even though these conversations all took place up in the most rural corner of Vermont, they could really be happening in any state in this country. And maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Anyway, welcome to What Class Are You? Number one, Katrina. Most people think of money when they hear the word class and how much or little of it they've got. We don't like to talk about class here in Vermont, I guess because we don't like to talk about money. But it turns out if you ask people about class, they have a lot to say. And it also turns out that a conversation about class often acts as a backdoor into conversations about political and cultural divides. Anyway, a couple weeks ago, I drove around in the Northeast Kingdom and asked people what class they are. My last stop was Olney's General Store in Orleans, right across the road from the Ethan Allen Furniture Mill. There were some people sitting out in the front of the store, talking and vaping, and when I walked up and asked if I could ask an awkward and probably offensive question, Katrina Patrick said, absolutely, pull up a chair. Katrina Patrick works at the General Store. She was born and raised in Newport, Vermont, and here's some of what she had to say. If I asked you what class you are, what class are you? I am working class. Okay, what does that what does that mean? Um, it means that I basically was born into a family where we uh, know that we're not rich. We know that we're probably never going to get to the top. We're here to make sure that the rich people get what they want in life. That they are going to be able to get their McDonald's. We are specifically here for a purpose to keep it running. Who are rich people? I mean, they can spend money without thought. I mean, I work here at the general store. You can tell when somebody comes in and uh, by how their stature is, how their demeanor is, by the amount of money that they're spending. They'll never know how hard it is to just pay your rent. What would you assume that they assume about you? Well, I know that, you know, I personally, I get food stamps, and I think they would think that that would mean that I don't work hard enough. They think we're lazy, that we could work harder. When you were growing up, did you have a sense of your class? I started to realize the difference as I was, you know, preteen because oh, wait, those people are wearing really fancy clothes and I'm, like, wearing stuff that's clearly from the dollar store. I can remember the kids that I, like, thought were well off. They also did really well academically. I could tell that their parents cared about how they were doing in school and they also, a lot of them, partook in extracurriculars 
which I did none of that. Um, but yeah, kids that had things going on. I mean, maybe some of them weren't rich, but maybe some of them were a little bit above working class where their parents weren't always at work and telling them, fix your own dinner tonight. Maybe they had moms that were fixing their dinner every night and having them sit at the table and tell them about how their days went, you know? Do you have friends who are not in your class? No. I would love to, but a struggle in my own life is that I've never been able to acquire friends that are of a higher stature because of the disconnect. When you're born, your destiny is almost set forth for you, depending on who raised you. What does it have to do with, or how does everything you're describing show up in politics? Trump being president actually made the divide clear. He made it very clear. You're rich, you're poor. Let's make it so that way from here on out, we're pointing out the problem. Because it was already a fact, it was already something we all knew, but I think his plan, he really wanted to divide us. Does he care about poor people? No. I feel like Trump would like to um, just give us all some sort of lethal dosage of something or put us on, a, on an island. Do you mean poor people or all, yes. all people? No, anybody that isn't of higher stature. So why do, why do so many working class people support him? Well, they have the hope of becoming the rich white men too. Everybody hopes to be rich, have a hot wife and, you know, be in power of other people. And I think that maybe for a lot of them, they thought he's the example. Is talking about class offensive? I don't think anybody that's in a lower class would be offended at all. But people in a higher class would be like, well, why are you pointing out the fact that there's people lesser than me? I'd never point out that there's anyone lesser than me, but realistically flaunting the things that they have in a world where people don't have a lot, that is pointing out who you are and where you come from. Most people who don't have much will not be offended by this question, but people who have a lot would be offended by the question. Yeah, totally. They would be worried about the fact that they'd have to explain what they have and where it all goes and this, this and that. And maybe they have things they don't want people to know when they're of a higher stature. When you're a lower stature, there isn't much that you have to hide. <laughs> My father, he himself, worked at Columbia Forest Product for 27 years. Then they let him go, and then he worked at Price Chopper, and now he works at Shaw's as the dairy manager. He still continues to have a lot of health problems with his nerves in his arms and his hands and his legs. His body is a clear depiction of what happens to a working class person. It kind of makes me upset because he, uh, he's probably gonna die working. I mean, I'm sure he won't see a retirement. I'm sure he will never have a adequate amount of money saved up to be able to do anything 
um, more than drink every day. I mean, at the end of the day, even though poor people make less or working class make less than upper class, we're still going to want our pack of cigarettes, our bottle of booze, our six pack of beer. You know, we're going to need those type of things because it's really hard to go through life without having something to make you feel a little better. And because we can't afford to go on vacations, we take a mental vacation, you know? Yeah. Number two, Karen. Karen Shaw is a friend of mine who lives on a dairy farm in Hardwick. She's given me good advice about getting rid of rats in my barn, and last spring she gave me a handful of potatoes to plant that turned into more potatoes than I know what to do with. She has really strong opinions about pretty much everything, so I figured she'd have some ideas about class. And she did. Here's Karen Shaw. What class are you? No class. Agricultural class. (laughs) When I ask that question, what class are you, what am I talking about? Most people think it's income. I think it's refinement. How, How do you differentiate between a coarse person and a refined person. Manners, intelligence, values. My grandmother was an Irish peasant, came over here penniless, but she was the classiest person that I've ever known. She was totally uneducated, but she was just a wonderful person, but she was an an ignorant peasant, I guess is what they would call her. But she was a super person, and, and there's a lot of people like that around here. The reason, part of the reason I'm asking the question is you know, nobody ever talks about it, about class, but I think everybody thinks about it a lot. Everybody thinks they're middle class. And what do you think they think that means? They're not rich and they're not poor. But a lot of poor people think they're middle class. <laughs> and what about rich people? Well, rich seems to be getting more each year. I mean, we used to think a millionaire was rich, and now we think it's a billionaire. So, And you notice Bernie stopped ranting about millionaires. Now he only rants about billionaires, since he has become one. Part, I think that part of the reason that I'm interested in this question is, I think, I'm not sure, but I think it gets at the, the ways that people right now are so divided. There's a big di- cultural division that's happening. And we think it's all politics, but that's, there's so much more underneath that. And that's what I'm trying to figure out is, does class have to do with these divisions? And what is that? Well, why is it that when you go to these Craftsbury and Greensboro, they all have Black Lives Matter signs out? They're wealthy people. And when you go to the back roads and see these people living in broken down house trailers and and little cottages they have trump signs out how does that how does that jive i don't i don't understand it i think they're more real i think these people who have to struggle to live have more of a sense of reality and although trump is a loudmouth rich guy he, he talks straight to the people. How do... We all live in the same town, 
So we have that in common. How do you connect the people together? I don't think you can connect them. We're, we're so diverse. We're so far apart. They're polite. Vermonters are polite, but they're opinionated and they're set in their ways. So what they also are, and you've been around long enough to know this, that they've they're like classic Vermont Republicanism is generous. It's also hard-headed. But we're still like that. I mean, we'll pretty much help anybody needs help regardless of their political opinion if they if they're stuck on the roadside or hungry or something we help them we don't have to like them but <laughs> but, but that's my question then if so you're saying when i asked you how do you uh bridge some of this discord how do you you can't you yes, can't but you bridge just it. said you do you you, just... you help each other but you're not going to Meld your opinions. You're, you're going to keep your opinion. Well, people do change. I was a dyed-in-the-wool Bernie supporter, you know, left-winger. And now I support Trump. So what do we do? You tell me what do we do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that there's any compromise. We've got to divide the country, and some of us live in one half, and some of us live in another. Yeah, but that means we don't get to live in the same place. Well, and that would be a, that would be stupid. I mean, you gave me potatoes. Well, I'd give food to everybody. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but as you said, everybody's angry. I'm angry all the time. What does it mean that we like each other and respect each other and we just so thoroughly disagree? Well, I don't know. Some some famous guy said there's nothing in the middle of the road but a yellow stripe and dead armadillos. <laughs> Number three, Jane. Jane Greenwood ran a sawmill in Sutton for 25 years. Now she's a carpenter and a logger. She's got three cows and 50 broiler chickens and 12 laying hens, and she grows most all her own food. She lives in Brownington in the Northeast Kingdom, population 1,000, and growing. Here's Jane Greenwood. What class are you? You know, my immediate response to, to that would be the working class. I mean, I, I ran a sawmill and worked hard and earned a little bit and grew up on a dairy farm where we did the same. However, I'm fortunate enough to have had parents who were college-educated and fairly worldly from a, a rural Vermont farm way, but they managed through their lives to always have a hired man so that they could go off and do some things more globally. I mean, they went to France even once, and that's unheard of when you've got 90 cows, you got to milk twice a day. Therefore, I inherited some of that worldliness. I was encouraged to go to college. I tried it, didn't like it. I knew that my education was better gotten out behind the barn or working with my hands. And, but I've been privileged 
because of my upbringing to have that exposure. And I, I think that that puts my feet into two or three different classes. But I'm one to not really put myself into a category that way because I'm interested in all categories of life and living, except maybe opera. I never really got into opera. But I've been, and I have been beyond Burlington in my life. <laughs> you mix in a lot of different cat. You mix with a lot of different people when you're a builder, when you when you run a sawmill. Do you notice cultural divisions that are the result of blind spots or things that people don't know that they don't know about their neighbors, perhaps? I do a lot of my carpentry work and my logging with a true friend who's a little bit younger than I am, who's born and raised in this immediate area. And up until two years ago, had never been south of White River Junction. And he had to go to Springfield, Vermont, to pick up some planks. And he came back from that, and he said, Man, that's a long ways away. And there are so many things that he makes me aware of that I just take for granted. He's a bright guy, kind, gentle, aware, clever man who just doesn't know. He does not listen to NPR. (laughs) And when we ride to a job together, I turn it off because I feel like I'm offending him. Or he doesn't mind if I want to listen to it, but I feel that um, he would really rather not. He doesn't doesn't want to hear news from that perspective. He doesn't even want to hear news. He doesn't have a TV. He listens to Moo 92 or the country station. And we get along as two people as well as any two people can. You turn off NPR when you, you're, you're riding to a job. Why? I don't want him to feel that he's outclassed. I like to be on an even playing field as much as I can. Are you aware of cultural tensions in your town that are that you can trace back to people's assumptions about class, do you think? Or is that a component? So growth is inevitable. But nobody ever goes to a a planning commission meeting. And yet, you talk to some of the individuals and they say, I've had junk cars in my yard forever. And that's how I earn my income. I take parts off them. I have a garage and I use them some or I just sell them. And nobody's going to come and tell me not to. And what I'm thinking, me the mediator, me the, the shoe in both ponds, is, you know, you guys, growth is inevitable. There's going to be people coming here, and they're going to buy the land next to you. And we don't have any zoning. We don't have any plans. That person could, could set up whatever he or she wants to, or they start complaining about your junkyard just because they moved in next to you. So if we want to maintain our independence and have what we cherish, we need to have a plan because these people are going to come. What do you encourage 
people who are new to the area then or people coming from coming from somewhere else what do you encourage everybody to do to make that relationship work well here's an example I, I was introduced to a couple of gals who are partners or they're gay and they are quite worldly and they bought a 25-acre tract of land a couple miles up the road and decided that they wanted to build a garage on it. Neither one of them had ever built any buildings. And here come Alan and me over there with our little toolboxes saying, what are we going to do here? And and, uh, along comes the guy who did their excavator work. And he's a good old Brownington boy. And they are having a beer at the end of the day together and sharing stories and having a good old time like they've known each other forever. I have total respect for one another. And these girls just rolled up their sleeves and joined Brownington. And I think what makes it all okay was the focus of the building project. You know, something that somebody new coming in needs help with that the local community, instead of having them uh, begrudging their moving here, can become involved in their goals, then they can be have an engagement that then dissipates all the stigma attached to them and us. Number four, Ethan. Ethan Perry is 29. When I asked him what class he is, he said he grew up lower middle class. His mother was a teacher and his father a carpenter. He said that now he considers himself lower class but not impoverished. He's worked as an after-school counselor and a gas station attendant. He worked at Planet Fitness, McDonald's, Cumberland Farms, Walmart, and Hannaford's twice. He's worked at a phone call center. He's been a cell phone salesman. And for the last four months or so, he's been working at Family Dollar in Orleans. We sat in my car up on the hill that overlooks the Ethan Allen furniture mill, and we talked. Is there any inherent value or virtue in upward mobility? Everybody likes a story about somebody who's striving for more, mm-hmm. but is that is that inherently valuable? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's it's um, invaluable. Even you know, if you're working at one of the many jobs I've had, and like you, you don't want you know you don't want to look at the past because that was mopping floors. You don't want to look at the present because that's washing toilets. But the future, that's, you know, that could be anything. You know, you want to have a picture of what you want, you know. What's your picture? I'm not, I'm not looking at anything crazy. I'd like to own a small business or something someday. That'd be cool. I'd probably do a pizza shop, but, yeah. That's what I have my idea for maybe someday right now. When you have to worry about money... Mm-hmm. Is it hard to think about the future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lots of times it's disillusioning, and you, um, if you're worried about money, there's more pressing matters than what you're going to be doing 10 years from now. What, do you, what class do you assume I am? That's tough to say. I, I guess middle class. And what, is there anything that you sense in my questions that I'm asking that indicates a blind spot in my understanding of your experience? Um... I, I, it, I suppose it's easy to assume that someone who's been in the middle class their entire life has never had to like worry about where their next meal is going to come from. When you're when you're in that spot, you know it. Um, 
it feels uh it feels like you're um like you you know you're stranded on a raft like uh, Tom Hanks in um Castaway and then lots of times and specifically problems with money like this there's no one who can help you other everyone's having the same problem or people who maybe you're doing a little better you might not be close enough to to actually ask for help like that I was lucky recently that uh, lucky enough recently that one of my coworkers um just bought me a bunch of groceries you know and it was like a week whatever and I really needed it I had, was hurting for hours and I was lucky enough that she noticed on the schedule that I was hurting for hours the following week asked me if everything was okay and you know kind of dug deeper I got me to actually talk about it then her and her husband took us out and you know stocked our fridge that kind of thing doesn't happen very often in a, in a way you do feel very cut off and alone at the mercy of the elements I suppose would be the best way to put it is there any anger yeah there's anger associated with that absolutely but it's it's almost always unhealthy. It's something that I have to keep a constant like look at, especially when I'm at work and I'm cashing people out. I'm seeing how much how much of their food stamps people spend on candy and junk food and soda. It's I see the difference in how much people with even a kid receive compared to just me. I barely ever have over maybe two hundred dollars on my food stamp balance. Especially if it's one of those days, like I said, where I don't know where my next meal is necessarily coming from. You know, like I'm trying to save change people didn't need so I can grab like a, a Hot Pocket or something. And then someone cashes out buying junk. People who have not had to worry about money, what do they maybe not even know that they don't know? It seems like there's this assumption that you can just save money just don't spend money it's like well you try not spending money for one single day and see how far you get you, you, your, your car's gonna run out of gas so after that you've got to eat and even just to be happy you know like a lot of people spend a lot of money just in the course of keeping themselves happy throughout the day and it's not like a lot of money you know it's like maybe 20 bucks but to me that's a lot of money and then beating yourself up being guilty like I shouldn't have done that to give people some idea of what on your salary would be an indulgence. Honestly, anything I don't immediately need that isn't food is an indulgence. Like when I when I go uh, down to Maple Fields and get my like couple beers for like four dollars every night, that's that's an indulgence. That's my nightly indulgence. Is that four dollars? I think when people have these um, these thoughts about like, well, they should just save money or stuff like that, it's. Uh, it's. I feel like it's rooted in the assumption that these people don't care about their own socioeconomic future, and that's preposterous. There's this assumption that these people are just throwing away money they don't have because they assume the government will help them, or, or maybe in a lot of cases people just assume that they're stupid. And most people are just trying to do what they can with what they have, and it never amounts to enough. If you could describe your fantasy pizza shop yeah. or the if you could have exactly what you want what would it look like um it would be i don't know it would be it would be full of people i just want it to be a place where people could gather and uh 
a place where like people looked forward to uh, to meeting and you know having like a sense of community there. I'm getting a little emotional. Sorry. Why? I guess because I don't I don't really talk to people about dreams or aspirations or anything like that very often. I don't even like let it seem uh, real to myself very often. Your your vision has to do with making a place where people can be together. There's nothing like that around here, really. You know, like, where do people go to gather? The American Legion bar? That's sad. I look at the people that are my age in this area, and not necessarily people I know, but people that come into the store and I see around and stuff like that, and the number of them that are not doing well for themselves when it comes to drugs and stuff like that is really troubling. It's like... You want to say I expect better of my peers, but at the same time, there's nothing for them to do. And that stuff's easy to, easier to obtain than, you know, a legitimate good time. At your pizza place. <laughs> Hopefully someday. That was What Class Are You? produced for Vermont Public. Thank you so much to Vermont Public for letting me share this series with the Rumble Strip audience. I'm working on a second set of episodes for this series right now. People, it turns out, have a lot to say about class, so I don't know, maybe I'll just keep asking about it. We'll see. I'm working on a big show right now for Rumble Strip, which is going to take a couple months to make, so thank you for your patience. If you have any comments on this series, I would love to hear from you. Just go to rumblestripvermont.com and click on the show page, and you'll find a comment box there. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening.